The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash the Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This is Ibadi and X, and this is The Candid Frame. There are many photographers who pick up a camera with the hope of trying to make a difference. For the photographs to be good, the images have to more than just look good. The photographs have to tell a story, convey an idea that informs and enlightens. Because it's so easy to exist in our own private bubbles, these photographers recognize the power that photographs have to open our eyes to bigger realities, and more importantly, how we can each still make a difference. That's the kind of work that excites Benjamin Von Wong, who has gained an international following because of his ability to share his passion for photography, people, and the environment with his photographs and his stories. Well, Ben, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a real pleasure to, to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been on my radar for a while, so it's been, you know it's a long time coming for me to finally reach out and have you on the show. Yeah, Your work has been quite amazing. It's really interesting having uh, a chance to sort of go deep into your story. Uh, it was something I heard when you were doing a presentation once about when you were a kid, you were really big into like uh, fantasy. Is that right? Yeah. I, I mean, I've always loved reading about... I don't know, Knights in Shining Armor and, you know, um, science fiction comic books. I think just standard dude stuff. I don't think it was in, yeah. like a particular fascination or anything, but uh, definitely love my comic books and video games. And I guess that sort of carried into my work in some way, shape or form. Yeah, because I was just sort of curious about the, the kind of stuff that you were into. Did you have a particular, you know, author, science fiction author, comic book uh, characters that you really were into that really sort of sparked your imagination? I think it was more like just classic fantasy and sci-fi. So I was a huge fan of Star Wars and all those. Um, I really like Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms in the fantasy world. I don't think it was any like super classic reads or anything. Just popular fantasy culture, I suppose. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I did. I read a lot of mythology when I was younger. I loved like Greek mythology, Indian mythology, any any anything that involved demigods and gods and adventure and whatnot. Like those were things that I just you know loved. Any sort of epic adventure to save the world kind of thing. Yeah, because when I take a look at your your pictures, they, they, I look at them sometimes, and I think about the the kind of covers for a lot of science fiction novels that I used to read as a kid. Yeah, you know, the sort of the sort of grandeur where you look at those, where you look at the image, and you want to know, man, what's the story? I got to read this one. Yeah, I guess I guess there's a little bit of that. I I really try to get people's attention with a photograph. Like I want them to stare at it and wonder what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this certain cinematic drama that I always try to create. You know, when you're sitting down there, what, what sometimes is the germ for, for a photograph? Are you looking at other things and then suddenly being inspired? Do you, you know, how, how do you sort of develop sort of the germ of an idea and then you know, sketch it out and then eventually photograph it? Well, recently it hasn't been about taking fantastical photographs. It's been about purpose. So what, mm-hmm. what is this photograph for? In, in that sense, the projects really only grab my interest if I think I can 
warp the story in, in such a way that it has something to do with social impact, conservation, environmental, some kind of a purpose that's larger than just creating pretty work. Uh, to get to that point, I suppose typically it's, I look at it a little bit like a cook. I'm, I'm just the cook. I need the right ingredients. And so sometimes I'll stumble across the right ingredients and they'll inspire a whole new recipe. But really most of my time is actually just spent looking for ingredients and figuring out which ones will fit together. Um, and more often than not, they don't actually fit. Invariably, it takes me a long time to put these projects together. Like I was watching a video about this sort of apocalyptic scenario that you had created, yeah, which revolves about the idea of clean air and and, and clean burning fuel. And, and why don't you talk about what you just described within the context of that of that recent shoot? Right. So that was a post apocalyptic photo shoot. Um, the concept was to create a futuristic world in which oxygen was being bought and sold, um, kind of a Mad Maxi style popular culture. Uh, meets reality sort of thing you know it's it's this extravagant photo shoot with like 10 post-apocalyptic wars a strip mining machine in germany and these black smoke grenades extravagant lighting and shot on a medium format camera so the shots just look like they're straight out of a movie but the beginnings of that project you know was when my girlfriend basically said hey ben i'm gonna go shoot a wedding in germany uh, you're welcome to come if you want and tag along and i said sure so i ended up in germany with six weeks to kill and I started looking for cool things to do while I was in Germany. The Wasteland Warriors, these post-apocalyptic warriors actually, are the people who reached out to connect with me uh, a year and a half ago. We had tried to work on a project together that was nothing to do with conservation. But I had, but I knew they were cool and I knew I wanted to do something with them. So I reached out and pitched the idea of an environmental thing just to see if they were interested. And then lo and behold, uh, we ended up you know, putting this insane project together that had, I think, 30, 40 volunteers you know, you work with a, a lot of volunteers. So tell us about that sort of the collaboration in terms of being able to, you know, coordinate all the logistical stuff that you have in terms of all these people and all the equipment to make something happen. Well, I sort of look at it like organized chaos in a way. We, since a lot of these projects that I do are self-funded projects, um, I don't really have any budget to allocate to them. And what that means is I rely on volunteers to come and help out. And so what that looks like is putting a call out on social media and saying, hey, guys, who wants to help? And then from there, it's who has a car, who has gear, who has this, who has that, who knows where to get where to get something from mm -hmm. and simply just getting those answers and doing the best with what I have. I think I have a very high tolerance for chaos as someone who travels to many different countries and I have a fairly decent, like a decently large following that are very interested in knowing what I do and how I do it. As a result, when they do actually show up, there is this pretty big interest in just being a part of the adventure and, and, and being there. So I don't have very many people who flake. I don't have that many people who drop out last minute. Most of the time, people are just really, really excited about the idea of contributing to something greater. I heard you, heard you want to say that um, you try to get people not invested in what you're doing, you know, by gi giving them more than just a date to show up. You like them to be actively involved in, in helping the idea come to, to fruition. Tell us about why that's so important for you. Right. So there are different levels. For the people that I collaborate with and the artists, for example, uh, I, I involve them very early on in, in the creative process because the idea is for all of us together as a team 
to come up with the best, strongest concept. So if I'm not exactly sure how, how um, makeup would look or anything, I ask them, what, what do they imagine? What would they like to do? What type of style they're most interested in? And then, of course, you know, I'll send them what I'm interested in. And then with the back and forth, we, we develop a concept together. And the reason for doing that is because you want everyone to feel invested in the project. Because if it's if I want you to work on my project, then that's a lot less interesting than saying, hey, I'd like you to work on our project together, right? So it becomes a little bit, there's there's a little bit of a personal stake in it, more so than um, than something else. And, and then as you go further down in the preparation process, you end up with volunteers, and then there are different tiers of volunteers. There's the volunteers that are a little bit more critical to the operation, the, the let's say the leaders, the ones that are going to take a lot of initiative, the ones that are going to have critical components like more gear than others. Um, and so those guys you sort of need to pay them a little bit of special attention in the same way. So find out, is there something, is there something that I can offer them uh, additionally is whether it's just, you know, a greater token of appreciation, getting on, uh, having a conversation with them on, you know, what they're hoping to get out of the project, you know, just trying to get to know why people want to be a part of this. I think in general, what it really boils down to when working with people who are volunteers and working on collaborations in general is making sure that you're not selfish. It's not about you. It's about what the other person wants and and whether or not you can offer it to them. So you're offering an experience, you're offering a service, you're offering an opportunity for visibility, you're offering an image they would never otherwise have. It's not about what you can take from people, but what you can give to them. Because it seems like you're really good at getting people excited about what you guys are doing together, which, you know, that it's not just sort of a, a technical exercise, that it's really about, you know, collaborating to make something larger than any individual be, would be able to create on their own. Yeah, I mean, I don't shoot very often. And every time I do something, it's got to have some epic, crazy component to it. That's generally what defines my style. I don't think it's the way it has to be. It's just the way I do it. When you were first starting out, you were, you, you were an engineer. I was wondering about, about that. Did you get into engineering because it seemed like you know, a viable career choice? Was it familial sort of pressure to get into something, quote unquote, reasonable? You know, what, what, was, what was the reason that you started studying and eventually becoming an engineer? Well, honestly, I didn't know what else to do with my life. I went to an open house when I was 16. And uh, when I was 17, I went to, I started university. So, I mean, what did you want to do at 16? And where are you now? <laughs> it just seems to, it just seems to, you know, we, we have to make these big major life decisions when we're so young, which it just seems odd to commit to something when you don't even know who you are. You know, at the time, I was good at math and physics. My dad was an engineer. And I said, you know, why not? try engineering. And it just so happens that mining engineering was the the program that sounded the most interesting and exciting. And so I ended up becoming a mining engineer, really. And when did you start picking up a camera and having an interest in that? I bought my first camera in November 2007. A girl broke up with me while I was working in a mine in Winnemucca, Nevada. And I said, hey, if I don't find something to do, I'm going to go absolutely crazy. And so I decided to uh, buy myself a camera and uh, give that a shot. Heartbreak can be the impetus for a lot of change. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great. It was a good thing. Very good thing. So how did you, you, you get into from, you know, just being sort of the casual snapshooter, that, which a lot of people are, eventually to becoming much more creative and inventive with what you wanted to do with the camera? I think it's like with everything. You start small and you slowly build up uh, greater and greater. 
you can't just wake up one day, I think, and, and, and do something extravagant in any field. You, you just have to build up one step at a time. And, and somehow, as you go further down the line, you eventually reach a point where you're like, oh, holy crap, I've, my products have gotten pretty intense and you and and that but that but at the same time that almost feels normal by that stage right so continuously pushing the, the boundaries adding that extra 10 percent every time you do a project and eventually it ends up being something really really exciting yeah i know you tried a 365 project and you weren't able to get through the whole 365 days nah, but up. what did you sort of what did you learn and, and get it and take away from that that really sort of informed what you what you did uh, subsequently my 365 project was really about, I guess, what well, was one? It was it was about keeping my mind busy, but it was a fun excuse to just be creative and challenge myself and build a community online. I think the biggest takeaway. I mean, I learned a lot of my Photoshop skills during that time frame because I wasn't able to always find new models and set up new shoots because one photo a day was a little bit intense, and so I definitely learned a lot of Photoshop during that time frame, but. You know, quitting quitting the 365 after 100 days, I think, was a great decision because it really pushed me to commit to be building more complex sets. Um, that was kind of one of the driving reasons. I was like, if I try to create something new every single day, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to create something unique every single day. So why not focus on just scaling up instead of scaling in volume? I mean, I know I know a few guys who are mega creative who do 365s, um, and kudos to them. But it just wasn't for me. I'm definitely more the quality over quantity kind of person, as opposed to being able to do the whole daily daily thing. But I think having that realization, even when you make an effort to try to do something like a 365 project, and even if you're not able to to see it through to the end, like you just said. It's a wonderful learning opportunity to kind of figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you and and be able to use that as sort of a, a guidepost for where you need to be creatively. And it seems like you were able to do do that with that with that project. I guess so. I mean it's it's a really long time ago now. I mean that was in like two thousand nine, so can't particularly relate to like what my state of mind was. When uh, I know that you started uh, being involved in, in the Strobus community, and that, that was sort of a, a, a sort of a little stepping stone for you in terms of what you could do creatively. Yeah, well, that's where I learned how to use lighting. So it was a pretty big, it was a pretty big thing when I first picked up lighting. It just opened up a whole new world from the natural light world to the constructed light. You were able to design these cinematic looks that just looked different from what other people who didn't put the time and effort to bring lights in were in. You know, I've always been a huge fan of being different, so that was pretty cool. When when you started sharing your work online, like on YouTube and on your blog, how were you how were you conceiving that at, at the time? I mean, now everyone's sort of doing it, but at the, the time that you started doing it, it wasn't as common as it is now. Um, what was the whole idea of putting out putting yourself out and your work out there at the time? I think I realized that if you put content online. Um, that shared the process, um, it had a significantly larger chance of being shared by other people. You, you, your, your same photograph could get a lot more traction if you supported it with other pieces of content. Um, and th that holds true even for today, because at the end of the day, photography is supposed to be a story. And if your story is just one image and it stops there, then that doesn't give people a window into discovering or learning more, and they just stop. So I think for me, over time, it was about just sharing my process internally with the community and learning and growing and sharing 
And then that became a little bit more about inspiring and teaching as I got better um, than my peers. And then now it's about figuring out how do you expand beyond the niche of photography to communicate and connect with others and share a message about something that you care about. uh, Ultimately, with the goal, I suppose, of making a living doing it because, you know, we all need to survive. So for me, for me, I think it's all about figuring out how to, you know, make make a difference. And you have a lot of questions about the photography process, but I I think as time has gone by, all all that doesn't matter so much anymore. So you're asking a lot about my earlier days, mm-hmm. and it's probably I'm guessing you saw my Google talk, which was yeah, about mm-hmm. four years old. But the world the world then and the world today has changed significantly. So we're we're reaching a point where good work doesn't quite matter anymore because everyone's doing good work. Everyone has a good camera. Everyone knows how to take good pictures because there are good tutorials out there and they're all free. You can't just go around pursuing good work. It's about it's about creating work that can stand out. Um, and it doesn't matter if you do that with a cell phone or a pinhole camera or a drone. What about your work is actually going to stand out in today's world that has so much content? And the simple answer to that is how can you summarize your project in a single sentence? Because if you're not able to summarize a project in a single sentence, then no one's, no one's going to be able to describe your work in a single sentence, which means no one's going to click on that link. No one's going to open that email. Um, and no one's going to bother sharing it because we share things. We share headlines without reading the content anymore. Um, that's how important headlines are. Um, and so your photograph really only serves as a teaser thumbnail as an intro into the greater picture and what your story is going to be. So I think that 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 single thing, the idea of designing a headline really describes the type of work that I do today, because you'll see it in all of my projects. There are these really catchy pieces of art that are really designed around concepts that are shareable. Because we live in a media saturated world, unless your only goal is to get more Instagram likes and followers, you can't just post a new photo every day with no substance behind it because otherwise it just becomes consumable pretty content that we double tap on and scroll to the next one and spend a grand total of like 0.3 seconds on right so what is your what you know um your brief description of the of the concept of the shot of the mermaid that's surrounded by all those um plastic plastic bottles so it's the uh the ti- the title of that is mermaid on 10,000 plastic bottles the title in and of itself, for example, you have mermaid on 10,000 plastic bottles makes you wonder, well, what does a mermaid on 10,000 plastic bottles look like? And why are there, why is there a mermaid on 10,000 plastic bottles? It's a title that can be dressed up in many different formats. It could be a photo of dying mermaid on 10,000 plastic bottles, or it could be a photographer puts mermaid on 10,000 plastic bottles to raise awareness for plastic pollution. The core title can actually be dressed up in many different ways to suit different audiences. And I think I think that's really what makes uh, a project really key because at, at its core, the base subject needs to be interesting enough to generate intrigue. It's just like a pickup line. It has to be intriguing. It has to be thoughtful, um, but it can't be tacky because that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Seems like you want to not only take pictures that, that tell a story, but it's somehow making a difference. That that seems to be what, you know, the heart and you know the core of what you're trying to do now with your work. Is, is that accurate? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've always tried to do positive things with my photography. I, you know, I, and, and that was a huge part of sharing too. The, the, the idea and the ability to inspire people, um, was something that was very important to me, you know, over, over time, if you are just going to go out and create content, that's great. That inspires people that in terms of job prospects, it's a little bit odd because 
who's going to hire you to inspire people? Um, you have like the route of a motivational speaker or an educator, but then it kind of stops there. And so I was being pulled into the commercial photography world, which was great financially. Um, and you know, it, it unlocked all sorts of new budgets, which is very, very cool. But on the other hand, that's sort of soul sucking in a way, because what are you really doing? You're just executing someone else's vision to sell a product that has nothing to do with who you are or what you care about. So that work just ended up feeling very superficial. And so for me, and I think a lot of millennials and, and I think Gen Ys, I don't, I don't know what they're called now, or Gen Xs, what, whatever, whatever this upcoming young, younger generations coming up, we all really care about making a difference in the world. Um, we really hate feeling powerless. I think there's a lot of anger and resentment to that. And so if it comes down to making a difference, it's almost about making that commitment to say, this is something that I want to do, and I'm going to figure out how to make that happen, regardless of what the world tells me. So how are you striking that balance between, you know, the work that you do commercially in order to be able to earn a living and like these personal projects that you've done? Is that uh, as of late, is it something you're sort of leaning away from doing as little commercial work as you need to, to be financially viable so you can dedicate more time to the work that really is sort of moving you? No, I just quit cold turkey. I'm, I'm kind of an all or nothing person. Okay. My quitting my day job happened within the span of the few weeks that it took me to give my resignation notice. And similarly, I never looked back. I just never paid attention to that. Similarly, with this time around, told myself that I wasn't going to shoot anything without a social cause or a positive message in some way, shape or form. And I haven't I haven't gone back from that since I, I made that commitment about a year and a half ago. I haven't really made any large significant contracts since, but I'm kind of gambling on my own career and ability to make that happen. Because the thing is, there's always going to be work to do. I mm -hmm. mean, if you reach a minimum technical level, I feel like if you're willing to do anything, you can earn money. But, you know, finding out what you want to do with your life and actually attempting to make that work is something that I have the, the, the luck, lucky enough to have that flexibility at this stage in my life. And I decided to make a commitment. So I still, I still make revenue from other things. Uh, I do some consultation. I do some DP work um, as a cinematographer. I, I educate. I do some public speaking. I do some influencer work. But by and large, when I say projects, I'm talking about my photography brand, my Von Wong brand. I don't do, I have not taken a single commercial photography contract that has nothing to do with the environment. And that's something that I've been very comfortable, very comfortable with. I mean, financially, definitely more stressful, but but I feel at peace with the decision from, I guess, I don't know. It's not really a spiritual thing. Just it's a, it's more like a moral thing. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a personal challenge and something that I want to figure out because ultimately I want to get paid to make the world a better place. Like I want, I want to make a living making the world a better place. I don't want to do it on evenings and weekends. I don't want to do it two week, two days out of seven. Um, I don't want to split my time 50, 50 and hate the other 50% of my life. I want to figure out if there's a way that I can do this a hundred percent of the time or at least 80, and then and then see where that takes me. Um, and so, you know, you never know if you don't try. And since I have the flexibility of being young enough to dream big and risk everything because no one else depends on me to uh, survive, uh, why not do it now? The, the freedom of youth is a phenomenal thing, and anyone who's not taking advantage of that, I think is total like lo totally losing out. Mm -hmm. Did you find that that the relationships that you were that you built as a result of traveling and collaborating with other people and discovering sort of new perspectives were some played a part in 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 the decision that you made? I don't think so. No, not really. It was really a personal realization that doing big commercials and earning lots of money was not 
that gratifying for me personally. It wasn't my end goal. Mm. And and if I was to just keep doing that for 10 years, it would it would have made me miserable. Yeah, there was no person or event or instance uh, that really marked that. In the uh, Google Doc, you talked about a video that you did for a, a little girl named Eliza huh. O'Neill. Yeah. And... You know, these presentations are always interesting because you try to convey, you, you try to construct your life in a single linear narrative, mm-hmm. but they're not always that, that linear. <laughs> so it's not like a if this and that philosophy. It's more like if you look back on your life and you try to connect the dots, you can figure out how these stories all tie in together and what truly matters. And so the Eliza story was a video that I made for a little girl who was dying of a terminal degenerative brain disease who I didn't know. Her father reached out to a girl who reached out to a blog who reached out to a bunch of photographers of which I was one of two people who replied and said, sure, I'll come and help. And they wanted to raise a million dollars in a few months. And I didn't really have time initially. So it took me about a month to make my way back from Malaysia to South Carolina. Flew myself there, stayed at their house for 10 days, made a video and we released it, raised a million dollars in a month. And then I think right now it's past $2 million. So it really transformed the face of how that accelerated the development of the cure in ways that were just not possible prior. And that was a project that that to me just felt so validating, even though it had nothing to do with my photography. Mm-hmm. It was it was weird in a sense, because after I raised the funds, there was nothing much I could do. So we were just like waiting for FDA approval, waiting for the treatment to come in and everything. So, so it was definitely... A little bit of an odd experience, but uh, and and while creating it, extremely stressful because you have this concept that you, the life of another person depends on your ability to tell a good story. Um, extremely stressful, but there's just something that just felt so good about going out and you know trying to make a difference. And so when I almost when I got my largest commercial photography contracts and was on the verge, you know, was was really happy with that. I almost quit photography because I just felt like, you know, my photography style could not make a difference in the world. I mean, it was just epic and cool, but like there was no way to really tie real life human suffering into my work. Um, And so for a while, I entertained the idea of creating documentaries, um, doing fundraising videos for causes that were worthy and going that route. But it just never quite caught on. I realized that I just I didn't like sitting in front of a computer editing. I didn't want to always have the pressure of other people's lives and happiness and livelihoods depending on my ability or inability. Um, and it was just very, very heavy and stressful all the time. And and so I eventually discovered that environmental causes required a lot of con- conceptualization, which was my kind of my personal journey, which was very interesting. So um, my girlfriend uh, wanted to go storm chasing and she was trying to find a way to convince me to go. And she said, why not go storm chasing for climate change? Um, and that was like my first environmental project, which had this surreal, crazy element of adventure and epicness, but simultaneously also being able to convey a strong conservation message. Um, and that's something that kind of started me on this environmental path, which was like, oh, it is possible. It is possible to tie in cause and fantasy together and that's something that i've been exploring further and further trying my trying to figure out different ways to make that viable without falling into like the fine art path it's, you know it seems like you you're you're doing what a lot of people are often unable to do is sort of to listen to themselves to figure out what they what they are being drawn to and what's sort of poisoning their lives and able to let go of those things that aren't working, even though there may be some risks involved in being able to do that. I think people oftentimes will fixate on what they stand to lose rather than, you know, focusing on the potential that they have to gain something, especially, you know, they're they're reticent to do that because sometimes they don't know what the outcome would be. And it seems like you sort of embrace that. 
There's a, there's a quote that I heard that I think is very powerful and it says you can do everything right in your life and still end up dead on the bottom of a ditch or something. I don't, I don't know what the exact quote <laughs> is, but it, it basically says that, you know, you can do everything right and still not get where you want to go. So why not do what you want to do and see where that brings you? Ultimately, we're all going to end up in the same place. We're all going to die. So <laughs> it's up to you to make that interesting. I speak from a privileged position and I'm very, very aware from that. I'm young enough to be unattached, I guess, lucky enough to have developed a career and managed to stand out in a saturated market before, you know, when the time was right. And so I know that I know I know that it's not a situation that many people are in. But in a way, I think it really boils down to it, it really boils down to the question of what do you want and what are you willing to sacrifice to get there? Because everyone has to sacrifice something. These, these things don't come without cost. Mm -hmm. But if you do something that you really believe in, the cost becomes relevant. Um, and so in a way, it's just about fixating on which direction you want to go and making a commitment to go in that direction and not look back. Yeah. Is your, is your bottom line in terms of the choices that you make is that you just want to feel like you're making a difference? I think currently that's what it is because I reached a point where I feel very confident in my ability to be able to get paid. I just feel like if I needed money, if I needed to get a job, if I needed to hustle, I, I would be perfectly fine doing that because then I would be able to focus 100% of my attention on hustling and making money and surviving. And I feel like I understand enough about the world and how it works, human dynamics, entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. social dynamics in order to make that work no matter what happens that I will always be capable of making a living, uh, barring some ridiculously uh, obscene accident, in which case that will also be yet another different type of learning experience. So I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, like really what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. I, I think that you end up in situations. So, so there's a type of, there's a situations that you end up in because you don't control. Like, I don't know if your country's currency collapses on you, and, and, and your savings disappear. There's not much you could have done about that. But, but as like a general rule in terms of like, let's say you're a really horrible business person, then maybe you shouldn't be a business person. Maybe you should find a way to figure out what your, I think, I think you have to be very honest and realistic about what your strengths and weaknesses are and, and be able to understand those and leverage that to do something that you truly want to do. Um, you have to be realistic with yourself to know where your limits lie um, but ambitious enough to push yourself to achieve what you want um, and find different ways to get there. So it's not just about banging your head against a wall. It's about banging your head. <laughs> it's about banging your head against a wall in different places to see yeah. which one really works. Um, you know, finding the softest spot and then to bang there. And yeah, and and, and it definitely takes a certain measure of luck. Uh, no doubt about that. It takes a certain measure of life circumstances to get there. And certainly social media would have you uh, feel like no matter what you do, it's never good enough because that's the world we live in. So it's also part of part of the danger is also realizing and and being grateful for what you do have and, and being, able, uh, being able to appreciate that and knowing when to stop or when to pivot. What is one of the challenges that you're facing today that you feel with respect to either your art, your life? Well, my biggest challenge, as it always has been, has been to find clients. I, it's not, it's something, because my work is so hard to define, you may stumble across my campaigns, but you would not, you would not be able to describe my work in a sentence that would explain what I do. 
Uh, nor would you be able to do it really in a paragraph. It's actually really, really complicated to describe my work. You don't search photographer who does crazy viral conservation campaign. It's not really like a, th a searchable thing. So people that stumble across my work stumble across them organically. Um, and then at which point, because none of my campaigns are the same, every single one is unique and different. At the end of the day, I need to completely sell an idea that doesn't currently exist. So the challenge is explaining what kind of value that I can bring to a client, if you will, and finding who those clients are. Because how I make a living or how I plan on making a living and how I justify the entire business of creating free work that I care about is that every single one of these pieces serve as a marketing campaign for myself. They get me, they get the cause out there, they help make the world a better place. And then along the way, at some point in time, I'm going to bump into the client who, who needs exactly what I do, which is a combination of authentic storytelling uh, in a multimedia capacity that is, that is fluid across different social platforms that speaks to a cause um, and a purpose that promotes an ideology or an initiative. And so when that happens, I can get paid a lot because I'll be the only person that can do it. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I'm fine just focusing on creating great work. So my business model is create, uh, do something that nobody else can do really, really well so that when somebody needs it, it'll be there um, and they can pay for it. And the hope is that I find, I find that client or those clients um, soon enough before I ran out of money. And it's almost like every single entrepreneur, every, you know, I, I live in the Silicon Valley right now and that's just, you know, just keep your head above water. Um, and if you keep your head above water for long enough, chances are, you know, you'll succeed because everyone else is just sunk to the bottom. So you just keep your head up, keep your head above water, keep treading, keep treading, keep trying, keep working, keep pivoting. If it doesn't work, keep finding new ideas and building from there. I mean, the, ch the challenge, the challenges never go away. They only change. So it's a lot easier for me to find people now, but it's a lot harder for me to create a concept because back in the days, creating a good photograph was just about creating a technically beautiful photograph. And then that got easy. And then it was becoming about creating a beautiful photograph that was epic. And then it was about creating a an epic photograph that was shareable. And then it was about creating shareable work that had a message. And every single time you layer a new component onto it, the whole project becomes more complicated. Not only is it a new thing to discover it's something that's that that that's just i guess that's just a lot of work to become good at so um you know anyone who thinks that life is easy <laughs> it may it may, it might be a lot easier for me to do the photos that they want to do but i'm not doing the photos that they want to do i'm doing i'm doing something that i want to do which comes with a whole series of constraints that they probably don't have to think about yeah i mean from just just Looking at what you've been able to achieve, you seem to be very incredibly resourceful. You're able to collaborate with people in order to make things happen. But, you know, as you've described, it is a lot of effort in order to make some of these images happen. But are there times when things are not coming together where you have to sort of, you know, consider that your attentions and your energies may be best directed to something else? Or do you just kind of push, push it through until, until you make it happen? Well, you know, the great thing about doing projects that aren't home runs is that nobody remembers them and no one wants to talk about them. <laughs> so nobody really cares about your failures. I mean, there are tons of projects that I've done that are subpar. Uh, you can go on my Flickr account and 
browse all the way down to 2008 and see every single photo shoot that I've ever done and how few of them actually are part of my portfolio. There's a very small number of them. In general, if I work with people, I try to make sure I deliver final results because it's only fair that, you know, people put time and effort into something that they have something to show for it. But it's not something that you can always guarantee. Sometimes they completely flop. You just do your best. And, and then once again, keep trying to push the limits, figure out what went wrong. If you learn from your mistakes, then it's not a failure, just a lesson. Yeah. Well, you're an educator and you do a good number of, of workshops, but beyond the, the, the technical things that you may teach in terms of lighting or using a camera, what are some of the ideas that you try to get across to people that, that really make a difference in terms of them being able to really make photographs that, that matter? I think there's a disjoint between the people who come to my class and what I have to teach. People come to my classes wanting to be able be able to take the photos that I do without realizing that it isn't about the photography. It isn't even about the gathering of talent. Um, it's just about taking the time to carefully construct and build something um, one step at a time. Um, and understanding yourself and and in a way in a way what makes me who I am is almost a it's almost like a life lesson or life coaching lesson as opposed a life coaching lesson or marketing lesson as opposed to a photography lesson because I'm not a better photographer than that many people like my technical ability to press the button and to pop a flash and to know what gear to use is inferior to a lot of other photographers. That's not what makes me unique. What makes me unique is the set design and the pre-production and the networking and the conceptualization and the marketing behind it and all these other factors that 99% of photographers don't care about because they, they love photography. They want to take pictures. So I think, I think their, their takeaway is in general that there's nothing special about me. I'm just like them, just another guy who struggles on the same points, who has the same challenges, but that I just put more effort than them. I think, you know, not, not, it's not an arrogant thing. I think that's really what people come out with just feeling like, oh, I could do it too. I just need to want it more or something like that. <laughs> and it's fascinating hearing you because I, I, I see you've achieved a lot of things that a lot of people aspire to do right? In terms of the quality of the images, about being able to be successful, you know, commercially in terms of your personal work. And yet you're able to make decisions where it seems like you have a, a real clear sense of who you are and what you want. And in hearing you, it seems like you, there's a level of confidence that seems inherent, inherent to what you are. But I, I'm sure that there are moments where you have doubts and insecurities like any other human being. How do you sort of contend with those feelings when they arise? And like you just said, you you make sure that you put in the work to make things happen. Yeah, I, I think I think conf there, there's a difference between confidence and just understanding. I, I don't think I'm particularly confident. I just happen to know myself very well because every time you do a presentation and talk about your life, or every time you go on an interview and you justify why you do what you do, mm -hmm. or every time you have to go in and present what about you is special and you know any number of presentations and public facing events means that you have you have to think about who you are and what you do and why you do it and how all that fits together and why it fits together and where you're going and why you're going there and so i have i guess 
by virtue of being a public figure, have no choice but to ask myself a lot of questions that are not always great answers um, and finding a way to justify that. So it isn't that I'm confident. It's just that I know what the answers are because I've spent more time asking them yeah. and trying to figure out the, the answers. As far as like doubts, I mean, I, I just said this earlier, like, I don't know if this is going to work. I'm taking a gamble on my life right now. Uh, the belief that I can, you know, make a living, making the world a better place. I just, I believe that it's possible, but my belief doesn't generate clients. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it just, it, it's just a direction to go to, a direction to, to, to run towards and, and one that I'm, and I'm attempting to go towards. And I see signs of success, but I don't, I don't know if it's going to be there. I'm just taking, I'm taking risks, but they're calculated. They're calculated based on my abilities, on my own understanding, you know, and there are days where I feel super frustrated. I mean, I released three projects last year. I launched three projects in the entire year. That's really, really little. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is between the time, <laughs> the times between those three projects meant that I had a lot of time either trying something or not doing something or things not going anywhere or being turned down or being rejected or, you know, that's just a part of what I do. Like right now I have 15 open projects of which a bunch of them are just not going to happen. And, you know, 90% of them are probably my fault. Um, my inability to come up with a good concept, my inability to sell it properly, my my you know, change of heart and lack of interest. And and that's just, that's just the name of the game. Um, it's really easy to look out, you know, from your perspective, looking into my life and being like, oh, wow, these are such great commercial successes. But I feel like people don't understand that or they, they don't see like the 16 hours a day of work where nothing really changes. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. my day-to-day -day life is actually really, really boring. Uh, you know, I wake up and I answer emails and I try to keep up on my emails. And that's like accounts for like 70% of my time, either answering emails, pitching ideas, meeting people, you know, connecting with people, staying in touch with others, uh, keeping conversations going. Like that's like 70% of my life. Right? Nothing else happens except emails and conversations and meetings <laughs> so so it's like you know of course of course there are great moments and those are the ones you share on social because i i can't i have nothing to share about my day today i mean i'm doing an interview with you i met a guy this morning who recognized me on the streets the day before because his mom really wanted me to hang out with him um and then i answered emails for the rest of the day and i did a live stream about um about my travel plans that's that's been my day yeah. um and, and that's actually an average day um, my average day, even though I have lots of travels, really revolves around just keeping keeping the inbox as low as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend uh, another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So would that one photographer be and why? I recommend to check out the work of Nick Brandt. I don't know. If anyone else has recommended him or if you know who he is. Yeah, I know who he is, but it's a great recommendation. Yeah. I, I stumbled across his Nick, Nick's work, um, his latest series, which is titled Inherit the Dust, where he took photographs of animals that he had shot and printed them life size, mounted them on two by four boards and placed them in environments that were completely ravaged by human civilization in Africa. Um, and the message being, you know, these this is this used to be the home of these animals which used to roam here and and that was such a compelling moving series to me that 
also showed that photography could have a powerful message if you just took the time to find and make that that right concept. So I highly recommend checking out the work. He shoots on film. He does medium format panoramics that he then digitally stitches together and sells for vast amounts of money. So he's in the fine arts world and he's a huge conservationist and does does these phenomenal images. So I just think in terms of striking meaningful work, Nick's Nick is very interesting to look at and check out. Well, thanks, Ben. I really appreciate uh, you making time for us this afternoon. I really enjoyed having a chance to talk with you. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Benjamin for joining us on The Candor Frame. You can check out his work by visiting vonwong.com. Thank you for your continued support of The Candor Frame. If you haven't already, please take the time today to write a review in the iTunes Store. Your ratings and comments help people to discover great conversations like the one you heard today. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame or you'll find the link in the show notes and the candid frame website or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show you can do so via paypal by clicking on the donate button on the candid frame website or the show notes thanks to all who have recently contributed to the show including benjamin brown to access our complete archive of interviews download the free candid frame app available for apple ios android and windows it's the fastest and most convenient way to hear and save any of the great conversations we presented here at tcf links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com the candid frames audio engineer is martin taylor who you can find at the other the show's senior producer is cynthia parker and our music is from kevin mcleod whose royalty free music can be found at incompetech.com and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at Ibarian X. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.